0: There's one throne and one the throne, and in Revelation 22 we actually know who that is. The one on the one throne is called God and the Lamb, but not as two beings sitting side by side on one throne or in one another's lap. But God and the Lamb is one being with one name, one face. That's obviously Jesus Christ. He's
1: no, it did not say God and the Lamb. That's something you you have to literally remove parts of Scripture. It's God and the Lamb. Mm-hmm. Doesn't say God, the lamb. It says God and the lamb. Yeah. Yeah. He just changed it to make it, like, that's not appropriate. Because I'd be worried about yourself. Why you still be down and you got a soul? Like you need to see to believe these things. But you believe things that you've never seen. The like feelings and hopes and dreams. The future emotions the gravity. And sadly, everything you're rejecting makes this whole life a tragedy. And I got something say. I got something say. I got something to say.
2: Welcome to the Milk and Meat Podcast, I'm Aldo, I'm here with Carlos and Andrew. Uh, This is part two to the segment that we're we're responding to uh, David K. Bernard on the Trinity, so if you haven't checked out that first part, please go back and do so, and then come right here and continue the conversation. God bless. And I've actually been told uh, the flip side of that, of if you don't believe in the oneness, you're lost. Well, that's I've, 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 I've heard yeah. that, the flip side of that. Um, before I, I had left my former church, yeah. those were some of the last words said to me. You're, you're leaving the holy doctrine because I was explaining yeah. the Trinity and they told me that you're lost. Mm-hmm. You get what I'm saying? So yeah. I've, I've actually been told that, that if you don't believe in the oneness. Well, that's an aspect you know, of
1: the restorationist movement. Right. There are several of them they're trying to restore the gospel if you don't have this fresh restored version the old one's not saving you yeah. so that's that's part and parcel with uh saying that the bible's been broken and lost and coming to a new conclusion now and that's happened from the beginning i mean we've we've always had that john had to argue against that paul had to argue against false doctrines false gospels right in 1900s 18 and 1900s in the united states we had mormonism jehovah witness and pentecostalism all uprising within a 40 uh, 50 to 80 year period they all began Around and they're the all thing, saying though. basically it's been lost, and we got it back. And here's what it says: Some of them came up with new books, new versions of the Bible. Some of them came with a new identity to what the things in the Bible really say. So,
3: and what I what I want to point out is, I I, I under well I don't understand what he's saying. Okay, um, <laughs> okay, but I, I kind of I get it. I, I kind of get the point where it's like you try to explain God with your finite mind. Yeah, you know, yeah, like. Like kind of like how we were how we were talking right before this episode, and, and you brought that point up. Like, really, this thing made out of dirt who has sinned against the holy God is going to fully understand and explain the Almighty, glorious God? Mm-hmm. Like, no, you're you're. I'm getting in trouble. No, okay. Second, <laughs> um, like but but John, I want to I want to take a look at John one eighteen. And says, "No one has seen God at any time. God, the only Son who is in the arms of the Father, he has explained him. I mean, Jesus wrapped himself in flesh and came to explain God the Father. Mm-hmm. And here's the interesting about the, the interesting thing about this passage. It says, "No one has seen God, and then he calls the Son God." And then he says, who is in the arms of the father, has explained him. Mm-hmm. Like the son is the one who, who understands the father. He he loves the father. They have an interrelationship, like so, so pure and so loving that that's kind of the question that I get sometimes where it's like, well, before the foundation of the world, before anything, what was the father and the son doing? What was the Holy Spirit doing? Were they just kind of chilling? The Father was loving the Son. And we see that in John 17, 5, where Jesus prays, Now you, Father, glorify your Son and, and, and give me the, the glory which we once shared. That's what they were doing since eternity passed. Yeah. The Father was being a father to the Son, loving him, cherishing him. They were they were together in this. Like that's such a pure and 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 beautiful thing to, to be able to comprehend and understand. But yes, going back to this, yeah. No no human can, can fully understand and, and and explain the Godhead. I understand that as Christians, we should be able to to to, to explain the scripture. We should be able to do a deep dive. But this 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 book is so profound you know i I love what a what a theologian says that the scriptures are are so shallow that a child could understand them Mm -hmm. but they're so deep that the greatest of theologians can drown in them but we should as christians get into the word day in and day out and 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 pray for understanding and look for understanding and seek and search for wisdom First Peter three fifteen tells us, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, but with gentleness and respect. There you go. We should be we should be readily available mm-hmm. to answer questions about this hope that is in us, about this faith, about Christ, about his love, his death, his resurrection, about sin. Why do we need the gospel? Where I'm a good person. Why do I need to believe? We should be able to explain. It doesn't mean that we're always going to have, I am terrible. My memory is terrible. And sometimes I'm like, somewhere in the Bible, don't quote me, but somewhere in there, it says that I, I found great refuge when I read that Paul said that as well. Mm-hmm. He said, somewhere in there. I don't remember where. Someone said. Yeah. Someone <laughs> said this. And it was scripture. I I love my smartphone because I'm like, give me a sec. Let me look it up real quick. Ah, in Genesis 1-1, it says, I couldn't remember where, where, where Genesis 1-1 was. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bad example it's a bad example but it's a very bad I, example I, I can't remember where it says in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth. like that's I a bad remember. example it was somewhere well. in there I, revelation maybe I, I don't none of
1: those examples are good no <laughs> they don't do you justice no use a difficult verse like
3: <laughs> jesus wept yeah okay <laughs> john 11 35 i actually know where that one's at <laughs> Ad-
1: adeline knows where that one's at because we told her we'd give her We'd pay her for every verse that she memorized, and she <laughs> tried that one. Like, you're not using that one. Get out of here with that. <laughs> then she went for John three sixteen. I'm like, you already know that one. You don't get to do that. You got to get a new one.
3: <laughs> yeah, I once like would when they would say like, "Who wants to say a, a verse?" When I was a kid in in, in kid church um, or the nino service or whatever, and I would always say Psalms one seventeen. Now don't ask me to quote it because I don't remember it now. But it was a song. Um, mm. It was a little corito um so i would just kind of sing it without the beat yeah so i would be singing it and that's kind of how i remembered it but yes as christians we should be able to 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 give a good response as to the hope and to as to what we believe i understand that it's difficult it takes me a long time to like actually search and study the scripture but I'm 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 grateful I have brothers that I can go to. I have a pastor that I can ask. I have friends that I can ask. I one of my favorite tools is BibleRef Ref and org. Like mm-hmm. I look things up because I want to understand and I'm not satisfied with just one person's answer. I continue to look until I have no more questions. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. actually impossible because I question everything.
0: So, in other words, don't try to investigate, just believe it. <laughs> um, but uh- Well,
3: hold on.
1: <laughs> you know, that's actually what you're taught in generally in, I don't know if it's all, but Pentecostal apostolic circles. Don't investigate into the Trinitarian doctrines, into their theology. Yeah. So, basically, anyone that rejects the oneness that Jesus is the Father, don't look into their material. So there's kind of like a believe aspect to that as well. Just believe it. Um, It's good to, uh, you know, implore people to be faithful, to confide in the word. Uh, However, there is absolutely nothing ever Mm -hmm. wrong with investigating as thoroughly as you can into these claims being made. And this should be done. So I I don't know a healthy church that would say that. So maybe he's encountered some unhealthy churches trinitarian unhealthy churches that have just told kind of demanded like you know just believe it stop complaining that's a very unhealthy church it's unhealthy Mm -hmm. leadership if they handle it that way
2: yeah I would say that's a that's a very uh, big problem in all Christian
1: churches you know what I mean yeah I I would warn against anyone that's under that kind of preaching the pastor just says you know just believe it be quiet it's like that's not a that pastor is either not a pastor or not taking his role with reverence toward the living king I mean, yeah. that, that pastor is ruling with his own authority, authority that God hasn't given him. So I'd say that. So, but I would, I would hold on, I would comment on one thing. Um, a statement that David made was that only a small majority would be adamant Trinitarians, and that's usually because they've just been trained mm-hmm. that way. Uh, I just wanted to throw a few quick stats, really quick, um, to respond to that. Um, because what he's basically saying is that out of the, all the people that he's spoken to— um, very few are actually adamantly Trinitarian. The rest are kind of like unsure, or they just kind of sheeple, like they're just following and they have no brain. That's the idea that he's basically coming across with. Um, there are approximately over one, maybe 1. 1.3, 1. 1.5 billion Roman Catholics, people identifying as that. To some extent, an amount of them has believed that trinity of god because that's that's with the Roman catholicism too um there are approximately 1 billion maybe just a little bit under maybe more protestant christians and we know that every church is going to have hypocrites and false followers but there's gonna be true ones so out of those 1 billion protestant christians we have about 220 million eastern orthodox uh churches 100 uh Individuals within churches, 100 million Anglicans, individuals, not churches, 100 million Baptists, 90 million non-denominational Christians, 80 million Lutherans, 70 million Reformed Calvinist individuals. This is all based on statistics within how many have been reported within those churches. Uh, 70 million Methodists, 22 million Adventists, Seventh-day Adventists, 20 million Eastern Protestant Christians, and Then we have 7 million Restorationists. These are some of the Assemblies of God, the movements that that bring in a restored gospel, Uh, specifically about 280 Pentecostals. This varies in so many ways. And out of those 280 million, some of those are actually Trinitarian Pentecostal churches as well. Um, And out of the UPCI, which is the organization that David um, leads in, it's about 5.5 million. So... All of the, uh, predominantly, other than the 7 million Restorationists, which is a multiplicity of different churches and organizations that um, are bringing back a new gospel or trying to restore it, um, and the Pentecostal I, uh, Pentecostal churches or those that fall under that banner, however, some of them are still Trinitarian. So it's about 280, maybe about 250, 200, 20 million max and some of them could be false believers that actually line up with the oneness belief. Other than that, there's a remaining about 800 million that within their churches you will not teach the oneness theology at all. So, it is not a majority. The oneness theology is it falls in line with sabellianism. It falls in line with a with a rejected uh, theology, a rejected heresy from the past that was already rising up in all sorts of different ways, Um, even in the time of scripture was being written, the New Testament. So the idea that this is a major movement, it's not actually so. Um, It is one of the smaller uh, groupings within Christendom. There's a lot of people that follow it, but there are more, significantly more Trinitarian believers in Christendom than there are oneness Believers, where Jesus is the Father, there is no such thing as the Trinity. There's significantly a larger belief uh, of, pe- of people that believe in that. So I just wanted nice. to throw that in there real quick. And uh, we'll keep going.
0: My, my thought would be, so let me go back to the first point. So we have to understand the oneness doctrine and it has two parts the first part there's one god with no distinction of persons no distinctions in his eternal essence but the second part is jesus christ is the incarnation of the one god he is the son of god which means the one true god manifests in the flesh he's both human and divine so there is a human center of consciousness or Or maybe I would not say center, but I would say he had both divine and human self-consciousness within his one nature. And that's a big subject that is is a mystery, the mystery of the incarnation, not a mystery of God.
1: Okay. We got anything? Because apparently the incarnation, which is a wonderful mystery, is a mystery, but God himself isn't. So I'd say, how do we approach this?
3: Jesus is not the incarnation of the one God because the father was not incarnate. The spirit was not incarnate. Now to them, Jesus is the incarnation of the one God because they believe that Jesus is the father and the mm. spirit. Okay. Jesus is however, God in the flesh. And we are specifically told that in John 1, one and two and 14 Mm -hmm. uh, where it says jesus is the word that was with god since the beginning and then became the flesh Mm -hmm. specifically says that whom all things were created through the father create god of the father created all things through christ we just we just finished talking about that how is it that he spoke and all things were created and that word was with him And then became flesh. And that's what you wanna I I don't I don't have it written down, but you wanna read. So John
1: chapter one, verse one to five, it says, In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He, the word, was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life. And the life was the light of men the light shines in the darkness and the darkness did not comprehend it so it articulates there's a face-to-face aspect to that withness with god In first uh, it, it's as if he was face to face with god there's an actual acquaintance there
3: and verse 14 says and on it says and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory Glory as of the only son from the father full of grace and truth Jesus testified or John testified about him and called out saying this was he of whom I said he he was coming after after me has proved to be my superior because he existed before me So we see that God or Jesus already existed in the past hmm. I mean, John 1 1 says that in the beginning, he was there. He was in the beginning with God and was God. And then in in 14, we see that the word became flesh. And they they saw his glory as the only son from the father. Mm
1: -hmm. We have, um, we got, we, in Hebrews, um, Hebrews 10, four to seven. This is an important section of scripture. It says, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when he comes into the world, he says, and this is speaking about Jesus, sacrifice an offering you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In whole burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come. In the scroll of the book, it is written of me to do your will, oh God. For, for God to say just to himself as if there's no, no other interrelationship going on, you've prepared a body for me. It, you know, even in, in like self-thought doesn't really make sense. Uh, there must have been a communication there. That mm-hmm. must have been a real communication and who's communicating to who well it's not just the flesh it's not just flesh surrounding with the human existence it's it's literally you've prepared a body for me mm-hmm. you've you've given this for me this is something you've prepared beforehand so that I would dwell in it i mean there's there's a plan there's the incarnation there being spoken of, and there's a relationship where someone has had a plan of preparing the living circumstance for christ and that's that's not easy to just rebuke and say oh well, no that's not what that, that means that's just the body speaking it's like well the body the body isn't named as savior right it's not the body that saves it's the one <laughs> dwelling in it you know the word was made flesh not mm-hmm. the the word was you know the word was flesh like the word is not flesh so
3: that's, i want to i want to point something interesting about that every time I, I i come to this verse i think about this interaction between you and i um and i had to pull it up on may 9th 2021 oh, at two, days, two days after my birthday at 809 a.m you messaged me when rejecting the trinity how would hebrews ten five be responded to who did christ speak to if not the father when referring to someone else preparing a body for him i said that's a good question probably the father so is the son speaking about the body given to him by the father most likely then are you still in opposition to the trinity you should have you should have probably asked that question first lol and this is and then he says, indeed lol i am still sorting out my apostolic bros and seeing who still believes the doctrines but i also always have all sorts of questions about you you're that bro <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah i don't remember that <laughs> there's a lot of
3: attitude in this that. is this is when uh this is when he he found out that i that i know that i no longer identified as as apostolic or as oneness, um, yeah. Or as oneness yeah um I, I had we you know as as many of us were i had been searching the scriptures and praying yeah. really trying to understand um salvation by grace through faith what does water baptism mean what is a trinity what is the oneness i had all these sorts of questions battling for for o- a little over a year um and then I remember just one day in my apartment, like pleading desperately to God to understand. And, and he led me to to John 316. And, and, and I remember going to my couch and just praying out loud. And and it just like clicked. And I shouted like, I'm saved. <laughs> like, you know, and it was just a, a beautiful, beautiful memory. It's just a beautiful memory for me. And let's continue.
0: Which I think I've discussed that before, but the concept of Jesus being the son of God and true human is very important. But for our purposes right now, uh, we would emphasize that Jesus is the one true God incarnate, that all the fullness of the Godhead dwells in him. So... Jesus uh, is the manifestation and revelation of the Father. Jesus is the Son of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. So my first main point is you have to understand the oneness of God with its various nuances, as I've just described it in two parts. The second thing I would say is you need to understand Trinitarianism, which we kind of started. But the doctrine of the Trinity is that there's one God in three persons. Now we often hear them as speaking of three gods and indeed we can press them. The logic of your position uh, would lead you to three gods which directly contradicts Deuteronomy 6, 4 and hundreds of other passages. But they deny, they mean that. So I think at least we can't just say Trinitarianism believes in three gods. We have to at least take them at their word and try to reason with them and show the problem. So they say there's one God, but three persons. Of course, the trick is, what do you mean by person? And if you mean like a self-conscious being, as in colloquial modern English, well, that is three gods, and that is a direct contradiction of Scripture. But if you mean, on the other hand, manifestations, well, that's the oneness position.
1: Well, we don't mean either of that. Trinitarianism doesn't teach that there's three separate beings. Mm -hmm. He will be right. That will be truly three gods. And maybe there's some people that don't know how to describe it or understand it, and they think, you know, there's three beings and three different persons that... Are separate from each other in a external way. And they kind of just like three balls, like walking around or whatever in heaven, flying around, floating around. Like they'll, they'll have some weird ways of describing things. Right. So people will do the whole three leaf clover stuff, the whole ice water, water. And steam, oh, yeah. steam thing. The states like of That's no, that's, that's, <laughs> that's not it. Um, because it's not, It's a terrible way to try to explain an eternal spiritual being who is beyond our comprehension. Right. To reduce him to a hard-boiled egg with three layers. Like, that's... (laughs) No. Right. Not at all. God is unlike anything that we have in... um, In creation. However, there's one one section of scripture I want to just touch on because this points to the relationship between father and son, at least. And I think it's really important for us to get it. John 17, verses 1 to 8. And then from there, verse 20, 26. And it says this Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes. Now, just as a little reference, this is known as Jesus' high and priestly prayer because Mm -hmm. this is his final prayer. Uh, for the disciples in a very special and intimate way and he has the longest conversation with the father on record here than in any other part of his ministry or scripture so this is him literally praying to the father amid his disciples this is a full-on conversation and it it means something it's not just an act it's not charades Jesus spoke these things and lifted up his eyes to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, even as you gave him authority over all flesh, that to all whom you have given him, he may give eternal life. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. And that's the verse that you referenced, Carlos. Mm -hmm. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Now they have come to know that everything you have given me is from you. For the words which you gave me, I have given to them. And they received them and truly understood that I came forth from you. And they believed that you sent me. And then skipping to verse 20 to 26, here's the oneness aspect. I do not ask on behalf of these alone, meaning these disciples in his presence, but for those also who believe in me through their word, meaning future disciples. Jesus is praying for future disciples as well. That they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you. This is that aspect of Jesus as I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Um, Even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. Verse 22, the glory which you have given me, I have given it to them, that they may be one, just as we are one, I in them, and you in me that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, although the world has not known you, yet I have known you, and these have known that you sent me and I have made your name known to them and will make it known so that the love with which you loved me may be in them and I in them. I know huge section of scripture, right? A few minutes of reading. It had to be read though. It mm-hmm. really had. And that's with skipping a few verses. Like if that, if that is a non-existent relationship, right? For what purpose did God display that? And, printed eternally for us here on earth in Scripture. For what purpose did Jesus Christ have this magnanimous conversation of intercessory prayer, communal prayer, and even a prayer in which we partake in the benefits of it? I mean, Jesus literally articulates that the oneness and the unity and the inness that he has with the Father is the same that he desires we share with him and the Father. Yeah. He is not describing what somebody would say when they say, I and the Father are one. I am in the Father. The Father is in me. That means Jesus is the Father. Well, that logic must be applied to this because this is the only other part of Scripture that Jesus says, I am in the Father, or I am in you, and you are in me, and I am one with you. There is no other place in Scripture as thorough as this in that aspect. Right. This must mean that the oneness and the inness that Jesus has with the Father must be applied to us as a church and we know we don't become divine or part of the godhead there is something unique going on here that does not apply to humans and there is something also referenced here that does apply to the church we can have unity and a togetherness and a a, 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 a single path and a single mind state and a single trajectory and a single standard for life that god is giving us through his son and through the word but we don't become the God yeah. of, of the heavens and the earth. We don't become that. So if this aspect doesn't uh, signify a great separation um, between God's greatness and God's awesome holiness and his separatedness from us, then then it doesn't, it doesn't do that for Jesus and the Father. Like If this doesn't separate us from Him, it doesn't separate Jesus from the Father. But we are separated from God. We will not ever become Him. We will not have divinity ruling in us, although we have the Spirit moving in us and leading us. So I, I just think it's incredibly important to grasp that because when somebody says something like, the Incarnation is mysterious pertaining only to itself, not to God's nature, it's like there's nothing easy about that section of scripture how how has the father always been with the son how has that been an eternal before the foundation of the world he says in verse 24 you loved me before the foundation of the world you loved me you loved." there's a personal yeah aspect there this isn't like you loved an idea and i became the flesh of it no you loved me i've Mm -hmm. known you i fellowshiped with you the glory that i had with you so
2: yeah if there was ever a moment where jesus would clarify him manifesting into the father Mm -hmm. or the father manifesting in jesus it would be there i would say you know because that's that was his his argument like if it's uh, if you're not arguing for for three gods then you're arguing for them manifesting but again it's very clear and very thorough there's that again that distinction there's that relationship that togetherness to god Mm -hmm. not separate gods that you worship each individually no there's that true oneness but there's also that Person. Mm-hmm. The father, the person, uh, the son, the person.
1: Yeah. yeah. You know, to, to take some of the statements that Jesus made and not to apply them to different parts that are exactly in the same sort of reference is to play with scripture. Yeah. And when, when someone's not willing to take that same thing and say, okay, well, it, it must mean that, you know, because that's how you, you know, that's textual criticism. That's how they've. That's how you understand what the word of God says. You know, you see that God says something. If he says the same thing somewhere else, if that is not a metaphor, if that's not a completely out of context thing, if that doesn't give an obvious reason as to why it doesn't mean the same thing, it should mean the same thing. Mm -hmm. I mean, if it's not a strange allegory, if it's not anything like an odd parable or or an, an obvious metaphor, then you have to be able to apply it in the same way. And they're not willing, uh, people aren't willing to apply the I and the Father are one and I'm in the Father to this section. And this is ex- just exudes the same exact ideology. So we need to understand that.
0: Mm-hmm. So, all right. Trinitarians, one good way to talk to them is, what do you mean by person? Uh, and another way to ask that is, oh, so when you get to heaven, are you going to see three persons on three thrones? If you say yes, well, that's three gods. You just contradicted what you claim. Moreover, it contradicts Scripture because Revelation four says there's one on the throne.
1: Okay. What do we got? So persons, we know that there's an individuality there. However, yes. it's still one God. Right. There's there's a there's a distinction, not a an extended separation.
3: But again, there's there's still that union. Yeah. Like that. That's not what we're saying. That there's three centers of consciousness, as as he's saying. Uh, there's three persons but there's they're in they're in unity they're in union you know not not three gods one god one one nature um in in um in acts 756 th- this is this is where stephen is proclaiming and, and and uh spreading the gospel and and this particular part of scripture is called to even put to death, because that's exactly what happens. You men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and, and ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, and you have now become betrayers and murderers of him. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. Now, when they heard this, they were infuriated and they began gnashing at their teeth at him. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, looked intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. He 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 was telling the jews that they were wretched they were sinners they wouldn't keep the law that that their fathers their ancestors persecuted the 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 prophets that that they, they they blatantly disregarded the coming of the righteous one of jesus christ and they were i mean you you have to be mad and you have to hate someone to gnash your teeth at them mm-hmm. like that is that is a hate of hate and and well i mean they killed him that's how much they hated him and then he said, Behold, I mean this was his final moment. What a glorious thing to see. You're about you're about to die, and the last thing you see is Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. And that's what he exclaimed. And I know you read till fifty six, but I'm gonna keep reading. But they shouted with loud voices and covered their ears and rushed at him with one mind. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him, and the witnesses laid aside their cloaks at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, "Lord Jesus, receive my spirit." Then he fell on his knees and cried out with a loud voice, "Lord, do not hold this sin against him." Having said this, he fell asleep. What a If I can say powerful. Mm-hmm. What a powerful thing to have happened. What a what a way to die proclaiming the gospel yeah what a way to give up to give up your 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 spirit and then for him to exclaim forgive them yeah the very thing that jesus said father forgive them for they know not what they do but what was it that he saw in this vision he saw the heavens opened up and he saw jesus standing at the right hand of god so what are we going to see in heaven? He saw the glory and saw the glory of God. Now you might say, well, God told Moses, no man will see me or whoever. I'm going to butcher this.
1: No man can see my face and live.
3: No man can see my face and live.
1: Only her, only dead men see my face. Yeah. And
3: Stephen saw the glory of God. Yeah. And died. Now, I don't know if that was what killed him or if it was the stones.
2: Right. Pretty sure it was the stones. Maybe.
3: (laughs) But what a wonderful thing to have seen. Yeah. So you asked me, what are we going to see? Well, Stephen saw this. Mm -hmm. John saw the lamb standing in between God and the elders. I don't know what else to say to
2: that. Uh, Revelations uh, 6. 16 and 17 again to see it'll say who we're going to see on the throne uh verse 16 and 17 Uh, revelation 6 16 17 Um, and they said to the mountain mountains and the rocks fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb for the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand and who is able to stand i mean again it shows we keep, yeah we keep seeing it yeah who is, it, who it, is there yeah yeah and capital t yeah exactly
1: we continue seeing it and and again although we can't understand what is the complicated essence of god right we continue to just respond to what he has already said about himself yeah you know, we're not putting words in his mouth we're actually just Expositing the fact that words yeah. have been said, and this is how they're coming out, and this is... Now how do you... Either f- has meaning or has no meaning.
2: Yeah, how do you filter that? How, how can you even begin to filter that into the oneness Pentecostal belief? Because it, it's as clear as day.
1: The us, the we, the there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it it needs to be completely eliminated mm-hmm. if if we just deny the reality you, of it. You would
2: have to do what the Jehovah's Witness do and write your own Bible Yeah, yeah. in order for it to fit
3: yeah. your, your belief you uh, you said something um, hours ago <laughs> um, talking about, you know, you see it in the Old Testament. And I was actually, you know, listening to, to a few things. Um, and this verse came up, Isaiah forty eight sixteen. And I want to point it out. And it says, Come near to me. Listen to this. From the beginning, I have not spoken in secret. From the time it took place, I was there and now the Lord God has sent me and his spirit. What this says is, and now, I mean, it's just, it's just clear. I, I don't, I don't even know how to, how to explain it. And now the Lord God has sent me and his, and his spirit.
1: I got the whole Trinity right there. You yeah. have it
3: right as plain as day, the triune God spelled out for us. Yeah.
1: This is this is like through the spirit, the voice of Jesus speaking, right. saying, "I was there from the beginning, I was always there, and now God has sent me and His Spirit." I mean, this is you you can't you can't pretend this just doesn't mean anything. That's the thing. I think that's the problem that we see with uh, oneness uh, theology is that it it rejects and denounces just so much scripture. It has to, or it has to always say like that just doesn't mean basically anything. Because you can't give value to that other than saying, yeah. like, God's just saying things. Just He's just making more words. He's just piling words so that they continue to grow in, in, in their in their mass and their grandness. It's like, but God doesn't say anything meaninglessly. If every word that we have is going to be accountable to God and our words matter and we're finite, we, we can't imagine that God just says things meaninglessly or frivolously. Right. Like, there's, there's so much meaning to every single word he institutes and says and speaks, especially if he, you know, inscripturates it for us. So...
3: You, you look into, like, I'm, I'm going to point out two more verses. Isaiah 61, 1, and Acts 10:38. 38. Um, Isaiah 61, 1 is something that Jesus read in the in the synagogue. Yeah. He, he pulled the, the scroll and he started reading. And he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord anointed me to bring good news to the humble. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim release to captives, and freedom to prisoners. Um, and then acts 10 38 this is peter saying you know of jesus of nazareth how god anointed him with the holy spirit and with power and how he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for god was with him yeah i mean talk about scripture interpreting scripture talk about I mean, I don't know. Yeah, who like, is with who?
1: Like, why would right, God right. have to be with himself? Why would yeah. it, if there is no interrelationship, why would there have to be a witness there? Why
3: would God have to anoint himself with himself?
1: Well, you know, the first uh, in Matthew and Mark, you know, the first part of Jesus' ministry, yeah. he was driven by the Spirit. He Matthew was led 4-1. by the Spirit in Matthew. He was driven by the Spirit in Mark. He was driven into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. Yeah. I mean, who was driven by what? Was it just literally just this sin-capable human body that was like mechanically driven? Was it really that? Mm-hmm. Um, you'd have to identify what does this section of scripture mean if the spirit is literally Jesus? Yeah. Because then who? No, what's the point of saying he yeah. was driven? It's like Jesus went. He might as well just
2: went. Exactly, and you know, to your point it wouldn't be written like that for no reason. Yeah. Again, if you, it would have to be worded completely different to support. It would, it would, you know, to say that,
1: to say like, you know, Jesus was driven by the spirit or, or, or led by the spirit into the wilderness. And for that to actually not mean that. Right. Would be like, Hey, I'm just going to add some stuff. That's going to trick the the blind ones. Like God doesn't do that. He doesn't just add stuff to trick people. And just to be like, huh, this will sort them out. Like, no, no, no mm-hmm. they're, they're already sorted of like, you don't have to like, try to help God to sort out the non believers or those he, that are going to be seared in their conscience the by confusing. Confusion. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, you don't have to do that to try to make scripture mean something that sorts out the unbelievers. Like, no, they don't believe the gospel anyway. You don't have to like, make it tricky to get to God or tricky to understand right. the oneness. Like you need this special, unique revelation that comes to you and your group selectively and exclusively. Like, that's not it. Like, there is a group that will believe the gospel. Yeah. And those are the ones God has chosen. Jesus even articulated in John 17, you know, the ones that you have chosen, the ones that were yours, you gave them to me, like you've chosen yeah. them out of the world. Like he made it very clear that there's an election that takes place in God's mind. We are called to go and preach the gospel so that whoever shall believe. Um, however, to make it seem like scripture doesn't mean what it says at all yeah. in, in very plain readings like this. If it was a metaphor, if it seemed difficult, if it seemed like an odd story that's unrealistic, there's reason to think like maybe there's some sort of a hidden meaning to this and we've got to dig deeper. But this right. is just regular reading. I mean, we're talking about after Jesus' baptism, after he came up out of the water, he was driven into the desert. Like mm-hmm. it's just it's just a description. What took place yeah. with details of who was in charge. The spirit drew him uh it drove him out there because he was in a position of complete submission he didn't account the fact that he is god and just just wrestled to keep that authority and maintain it he came as a servant to serve and follow the will of the father willingly and submissively so that men might be saved well you
3: you see you see it um the vision of john Mm -hmm. at jesus baptism yeah you know the father speaking the the holy spirit descending like a dove not a dove that descendant we need to yeah a lot of people are like well and you'll hear david barnard say that well do you worship the dove uh, no he said descended like a dove gracefully descended upon christ mm-hmm. and and then in matthew 4 it says and the spirit led him to the wilderness but then you also see um 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 in the transformation and and i transfiguration. can transfiguration. transfiguration yeah. i'm sorry um where i can kind of see like the like the these disciples or apostles kind of like hey what's going on it's kind of talking and, and then god is like this is my son
1: listen yeah. to him yeah. Yeah. so yeah. he you know you don't see the father you right. never see the father no. right. you can't ever see the father so mm-hmm. he comes down as a cloud there's just like it did on uh, mount sinai mm-hmm. cloud came over and then out of nowhere boom we see a little bit of glory. Great amount of glory. Jesus is transfigured, mm-hmm. and then someone speaks and says, "This is my son. Listen to him. Yep. Come on."
3: Yeah. To, to me, it's like, well, if the Father's right there, if it's Jesus, <laughs> yeah, why would he have to speak from? He,
1: you know, ultimately, I'm not trying. To, I'm not mocking, but it's like, if such a great statement needed to have been made, you know, Jesus could have illuminated himself, yeah. shown his glory, and spoke in such a voice that made them tremble and quake yeah i am like you know like it didn't have to be like there's there's someone speaking about this like it didn't have it didn't it wouldn't make any sense unless there was truly something there yeah um I don't know. It's like we try to figure out like what, what other opportunities or what other possibility could there have been? And you could just come up with thousands of ideas. But ultimately, it just shows that this, this uh, unity and diversity within the Godhead, within God's unique nature, cannot be dismissed by saying it isn't. Because there's so much overwhelming evidence that it is. It is a unique relationship that's unlike anything else you'll ever see or hear or touch or think of. I mean, if heaven is full of things that you could never even imagine, the things that have never even come into the mind of man, those are the things that are prepared for those that love him and are called to court. Like, if heaven is that great... Who are we to say that we understand the centrality of heaven and its fullness right here and now? It's like right. we're full of sin, depravity. like We're full of confusion and all these mixed ideas from the world. We don't understand God. Christ had to declare him to us. We no. don't get him. We've had his word. The Jews had his word for almost 2,000 years. Like They didn't even know Jesus had to come and show them like they mm-hmm. were clueless and they had the law they had all the signs they had everything from egypt they had the miracles in those great disastrous ways that nations have had testimony of this god so much that you know rahab was able to know say like i, I know of your god i know who you guys are like that's how far that testimony went right and yet we still needed jesus to declare it so plainly to us we still yeah. need the scripture like we don't we can't figure him out he's far beyond us yeah. like isaiah says you know the heavens as the rain comes down you know my my ways are higher than your ways as the rain comes down from heaven so are my i'm i'm screwing that scripture up no but i get it <laughs>
2: just safe to say are you gonna take scripture for what it says or yeah. do you gotta switch it up in your head you know
1: you're gonna have to you know people that um battle against some of the clear things in scripture. Um, however mysterious they might be they would have to respond to these sorts of questions as yeah. well
0: there's one throne and one home throne and in revelation 22 we actually know who that is the one on the one throne is called god and the lamb but not as two beings sitting side by side on one throne or in, in one another's lap but god and the lamb is one being with one name one face that's obviously jesus christ he's
1: No, it did not say God the Lamb. That's something you you have to literally remove parts of scripture. Says God and the Lamb. Mm -hmm. It doesn't say God the Lamb. It says God and the Lamb. Yeah. Yeah. He just changed it to make it like that's not appropriate.
0: One true God who according to his human identity was sacrificed for our sin as the Lamb. So the book of Revelation is clear. There's one God on one throne. He's going to be revealed as Jesus Christ. So that's uh, so I found a good way to ask the Trinitarians, what do you believe? One God, three persons. And so there's this tension. And they'll usually say it's a mystery. You say, okay, but who are you praying to? Do you spend five minutes to the Father, five minutes to the Son, five minutes to the Holy Spirit? Well, then you have three gods.
1: Okay. I do want to touch on that. Who are you praying to? Um, I have seen Trinitarian teaching where there is an emphasis... Uh, You know, uh, pray to the Father, then pray to the Spirit, and pray to the Son. I see that as unhealthy at best if we over-separate God in such ways. There needs to be a biblical, faithful, sound understanding that you are praying to the father as jesus taught us pray unto the father right um, and you are praying led by the holy spirit because you have a relation with god through the spirit mm-hmm. and the spirit is the one that causes us and has that united relationship giving us the ability to call unto him abba father so we have that 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 access to god uh, made real because of the holy spirit in right. us and we have that permission Because of Jesus Christ and his atoning work, his his propitiatory work, his his, uh, passive and active obedience. I mean, so we are praying, in essence, to the Father through the Son Mm -hmm. by the Holy Spirit. Exactly. So there shouldn't be this... Over separation, like okay, I'm gonna to pray to the Holy Spirit. I'm gonna to pray to Jesus. I'm gonna to pray to the Father. I think that's when you really come across some really weird ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I just don't see that in Scripture. We see uh Stephen praying to Jesus, saying, "Jesus, receive my spirit," because he saw the vision. And Jesus was the one that was the, the the central figure that he identified and and, and noticed. Or the Scripture points to. And he saw Jesus at the right hand of God, standing mm-hmm. at the right hand of God. It was central on Him, and. And yet we always have them praying or thanking the Father uh, through the Lord Jesus Christ. Yeah. Like we we continually see predominantly in all scriptures always to the Father. Yeah. There are several references where it's to Christ. It's in the name of or in accordance with Christ's teaching or in accordance with Christ's character. But it's, uh, it's not overly separated in that way. Right. There's an articulation, but it's not this huge separation. It's always exactly. this unification. So if someone has done it that way, I I would understand his com- concerns. I'd be like, well, it looks like you're literally practicing prayers to three different people in a very separate way, which basically looks like you're you're like taking turns with three different ones. And right. that, that would seem very tri god polytheistic. Yeah. I, I would understand that. However, being able to pray to God, understanding how we relate to God and what His Spirit does in yeah. us and who Christ is and what He's done for us and is doing in us and the role of the Father, that's different.
2: Yeah, there, there's definitely an order to those roles. Yeah. Um, you know, even Jesus, he said, you know, towards towards the end, uh, I don't remember where, but he says, I will send a helper mm-hmm. pertaining to the Holy Spirit. We are, uh, the Holy Spirit is what leads us and in a, oftentimes guides our prayers. Um, and we can only do that because of the work of Jesus Christ right. unto the Father. So... I, absolutely I, I agree and and you know and i i think that's something to where i struggled at first when trying to understand the trinity yeah, i'm sure. like i was like okay I, I see that there's three how's this prayer work you know yeah. i i totally i get it you know when you're maybe new to it that, that it might be hard at first but it, it really is there's you just got to understand there's an order to to how this all uh played out because i've been
1: worried about yourself why you still Assault. Like you need to see to believe these things But you believe things that you've never seen The like feelings and hopes and dreams The future emotions and gravity And sadly, everything you're rejecting Makes this whole life a tragedy And I got something to say, I got something to say I got something to say to the world